Uh, well, we are in uh, Daniel chapter 6. You'll see it up there. And Would you turn in your Bibles with me? And I just want to pray as we do. Lord, I'm so thankful today uh, in sitting among uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ because uh, there's a warmth in the room. And yes, I'm thankful that the heat is running and it is warm. But I mean there's a spiritual warmth. Uh, The love that comes from You, God. And Lord, there is strength because You are strong. There's confidence. There's joy. And there's, Lord, much to be complained about or much to be anxious about. But there's peace because You give it. And you don't give it as the world gives. And that's because you aren't the world, Lord. You're God. The sovereign God. The all-knowing God. The God whom we need to hear from today. So thank you for bringing each one here. Some from out of town. um, Some maybe by surprise that they happen to be here today. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing them. And thank you for what you're going to do. It's cold outside. The world is cold. But in you, in Jesus, there is warmth. So Lord, warm us up today. Light a fire within us. Bind us together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Daniel chapter 6. We're in the middle here. And would you stand with me? And we're going to pick up with verse 14. There we are. Daniel chapter 6, beginning with verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and 
those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You can be seated. Well, I um, got some bad news to report to you today. I have a court date. That's right. I have to go to the Swift County Courthouse. Some of you, some of you are excited. You're thinking, "Whoa!" You're thinking I broke the law, and now you can get rid of me, right? Well, <sighs> someone's squinting their face. <laughs> no, please, no. Wouldn't that be a terrible announcement to make to you today? Your pastor has been accused of. Well, I'm not because I didn't do anything, but I was summoned for jury duty. You know, never once in Cleveland was I ever summoned for jury duty. Now, one year in Minnesota, maybe Minnesota just has better judgment, right, for who they want as jurors, right, you know? Yeah, come on, bear with me here. i got to have some consolation in this. Well, going to the courthouse as a juror is one thing. It's quite another if you're the one on trial, right? What if you are the accused In essence, Daniel chapter 6 is a law court narrative. That's what it is. It's a a law court narrative. And at the center of the unfolding conflict are laws. And because they could not find anything in their smear campaign against Daniel, the Democrats, oh, I'm sorry, I mean the, the satraps, wrong era, but similar agenda, isn't it? They had to create a conflict between, right, and listen now, the law of Daniel's God and the law of the state. They knew Daniel so well that given the choice, they knew that Daniel would choose God's law over the state law, hands down, no questions asked. But the conspirators also knew King Darius too as well, didn't they? They understood how to present their catch-22 law in a very appealing and a very flattering way, right? They said to the king, you know, you're going to have supreme authority over all your subjects if you put this law into action. Or as the serpent put it to Eve, you'll be like God, right? People will only pray to you. They'll only revere you. And like Adam and Eve before him, Darius too exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And when you do that, the scripture says, your foolish heart is darkened. Darius became the fool, right? Because he signs this law, he passes it, without any inquiry as to the motive. Why did these guys even bring it up? 
or the implications. What is it really going to mean in my kingdom? He signs it without even consulting his number two, right? The guy who he wants to be his prime minister, who is obviously not present. Daniel's not there. In fact, you could say Darius lived out what Proverbs 13 or 18 verse 13 says. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And in a decision that he would later regret, the king signed the law into effect. Now one thing to note, one thing important in this uh, in this chapter that the conspirators kept emphasizing, you'll see them keep bringing this up. Three times I think they repeat this phrase, that once signed, once passed, the law of the Medes and the Persians, what? Cannot be changed, right? This is the linchpin in their law. The success of their plan rides on this, right? So they keep bringing it up, right? Especially after they catch Daniel breaking the law. They say, isn't it true, O king, that the injunction you sign can't be changed? Isn't that right? And the king says, correct, it stands. And with that information from the king's lips, they then reveal who the lawbreaker is. Well, Daniel, one of those Jewish slaves, well, he pays no attention to you. Now, notice the reaction of the king to this news, right? Picking up in verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. So in a split second, right, the king realizes that he has been the fool. And he feverishly works to find a way to get him out of this, this jam. Now, did you see that these men came by agreement? The next verse, verse 15. Then these men, he's talking about these opposers, conspirators, came by agreement to the king. You know, this is the third or fourth time this word has occurred in this chapter. You won't see it in the rest of the book. This, these guys coming by agreement. Do you realize that these men, the guys who came together against, this, against Daniel, would have otherwise been at each other's throats? Right in their own jealousies over each other, their own competitiveness against one another. But here they come together in one great jealousy against who? Against God's servant, against Daniel. Right, think about it now. Daniel was over one-third of those 120 provinces. That's 40 provinces in which corruption was being systematically eliminated. No bribes, right? No false gain. And if Daniel was to become prime minister, being over all the rest of these guys, that would mean those other 80 provinces and governors would also be going to be held accountable. Right? No more bribes for them either. No more corruption going on with them either. This was a threat to their sinful, dishonest gain. So yes, in their thinking, Daniel had to go. Now who else do we know that had a unique ability to bring sworn enemies into agreement. Look at this. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with who? The Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Do you realize that the Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other? They agreed on almost nothing. But what brings them together? 
the threat of King Jesus' rule, right? The one who judges fairly and with compassion. Let's destroy Jesus Christ. Now just hold that connection for a moment, okay? You see that? Likewise, these satraps came together to blot out the kingdom of God and all who are part of it because it's a testament against them in their sin. It opposes their lifestyle. And then there is this king, Darius, right? Seemed like he was trapped, right? Like he had, you know, there's just, he's in a jam, there's nothing he can do. Was it really? Did you know that a similar law of the Persians and Medes was passed in the book of Esther? Remember the book of Esther? All right. To destroy all the Jews in the provinces of Persia? Couldn't be changed. Same law, law of the Medes and the Persians. But when the truth about that law was courageously delivered by the queen, right, she herself being a Jew, what did the king do? Well, he passed a counter-edict, right? He countered the previous law with a new law. So here's the question. Could not Darius have done the same thing and issued a counter-edict? But here's his problem. To do that so quickly after just passing this law would have undermined his word Right and resulted in a tremendous loss of face. Right, his authority would have been undermined, and yes, he would have looked the fool. So it would have brought into question the validity of any of his future edicts that he would pass. So he's stuck personally. Now, let me ask you something: Who else do we know was unsuccessfully sought to be delivered by a ruler who had to save his face? Oh, yeah. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Because everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Even Pilate didn't want to do this. But to save face, right? To make it look like he's not the enemy of Rome, he gives in. So listen now. As a reader of the New Testament, okay, you are expected to see, I'm going to use a big word here, the typological patterns, the types, okay, that are pointing towards fulfillment in Christ. There's patterns going on throughout Scripture. And Daniel, like many others besides him, were forerunners of Jesus. Okay? What happened to them pointed towards Him. Like His sin-bearing death, His resurrection to life. And Daniel's story, well, it just followed a pattern that was already present in Scripture. Did you know that? That Daniel's story followed another pattern? Right? When you have a chance, go and look at the story of Joseph. See the connection, see the parallels between him and Joseph's life. But the point is, as a reader... You were meant to draw the connections to see that all these things have been orchestrated by God in order for us to see that they are supremely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, look at verse 16 and 17 back in Daniel. 
right? Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. So the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Now, we're meant to read that and to say, wait a minute, okay? Daniel was conspired against and delivered over to a violent death by a weak ruler, okay? Let me pull this up here for you. Jesus was conspired against and delivered over to a violent death by a weak ruler. These aren't happen chance parallels. The story of Christ is the direction of the story of the Bible. So wherever we turn, we're going to see traces of it. And it only gets clearer, doesn't it? Because right in Daniel, the den was covered, what? With a stone, and then what? And sealed with the authority of the king. And this ensured that there would be no outside interference in Daniel's sentence, right? No one's going to help Daniel. It was a fate, by the way, from which no one was expected to rise. And the Savior's tomb was covered with a stone and sealed, right? In an attempt to ensure against any interference. And Jesus' enemies were thoroughly careful, right? No one, they said, will be rising from there. Or so they thought. So back in Daniel, okay. the same antagonism towards the servant of God thinks itself triumphant, right? We, had, we did it. We got it. Their manipulation had worked. And Daniel now stands on trial alone. He is guilty according to the judgment of the world. I'll tell you what, for the satraps, man, they thought they had this in the bag, right? They're rubbing their hands together. Did you know their actions throughout this whole chapter stand in such a stark contrast to Daniel? Right? You realize they are constantly on the move, right? They're conniving, they're crafting words, they're getting into position, they're finding Daniel. Oh. What work it takes to be evil. And then there is Daniel, whose only action is what? Thankful praying, right? Daniel just had Thanksgiving. He had it every day. Notice this, that Daniel is what? Before God. Before God. Say that. Say that with me. Before God. Because that's a repeated phrase in this chapter. You'll find it everywhere. Where's Daniel? Say it again. Before God. The satraps, the satraps thought they had him. Right? The king thought he had lost him. But unbeknownst to these malicious accusers or the foolish king, another judge has taken his seat in heaven's tribunal. And his judgment has yet to be seen. And this raises the key point of the lesson. Okay. Whose authority will ultimately stand? Is it the law of men who manipulate it for their own end? Or is it the law of God and those who live before Him in faith and trust? 
Well, we're kept in suspense, right, of Daniel's outcome. Instead, we are told of Darius's night. Look at verse 18. We don't find out what happens to Daniel, but here's what we know. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The point is that Daniel and Darius could not have had more different nights. One was in the comfort of his palace, right, with everything at his disposal, and yet how was he? Helpless, despairing, miserable. Daniel, on the other hand, is where? In a den full of lions. And by the way, okay, these lions have been intentionally starved. Okay? They are rabidly ready to tear into whatever falls into that pit. But as we'll find out, Daniel is at complete ease and rest. So you can be rich and with a house and a car and a dog, right? And you can be loaded with material things, earthly blessings, and yet be, look at this, helpless and despairing. You could say it this way. It is better to be in a den of lions as a child of faith than to be in the king's palace without it without faith. There's no hope in things that won't last. And so we see Darius running to the tomb at break of day, expecting the worst, right? For he cries out in anguish in verse 20, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? By the way, this is the second time that Darius has said, your God, whom you serve continually. Did you catch that? He said it back in verse 16, and he says it again here. So I want you to think about this. Daniel's decision to serve God, even after the law was passed against it, has made a huge impression on this man, whom you serve continually. He knew that Daniel served God continually. And when you stake your faith in God, not just in the good times, right, but through the bad... Okay, so not just when you're healthy, but after you've been diagnosed, or not just after you have your job, but after you've lost it, or not just when you have your loved ones around, but when they're gone. Let me tell you something. That raises God's name and God's worth to a world that's desperately looking for a real hope. Right? It heightens others to say, who is This God who can be so utterly trusted that he would even be laid hold of when the world is against it. So because of Daniel's consistent devotion, Darius is seeking to know the worth of God. And so his cry rings out through the dark, right? Down that dark cavern. And up from the den comes a sound. Verse 21. O king, Live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. So to Darius' amazement, Daniel is alive. To how? Why? Well, even though Daniel was forsaken in his earthly trial and the verdict was handed down, there was another judge presiding over these proceedings. And it is heaven, not earth, that will pass the final verdict. 
There's no doubt in my mind that Paul was relating himself to Daniel when he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Oh, there it is. Do you see this? Paul was also on trial. And he said, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul was alone, he was deserted, but God stood by him and he rescued him. Daniel was guilty, right, until when? Until God proved him innocent, right? He goes on to say, speaking of the lions, they've not harmed me. Why? Here it is. Because I was found blameless before God and also before you, okay? So Daniel was not saying that he was found sinless. No, God found him innocent. Innocent in the manners in which he was accused. He was innocent in his loyalty to God and he was innocent in his loyalty to the king. He wasn't an insurrectionist as his accusers made him out to be. Now that leads to a very important reality, okay? At the end of the day, regardless of whether an earthly court is ever called to condemn you or to exonerate you, you will stand trial in the courtroom of God where everything, okay, everything will be cross-examined. The name Daniel reminds us of this. What's Daniel mean? God is my what? My judge. At the end of the day, who was Daniel's judge? God. Who will be your judge? God. What matters is how God will find you. Now look at this, verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Like Daniel was raised from the den, what Jesus was raised from the tomb. Condemned by the world, vindicated by God. So yeah. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is foretold in the Old Testament. And the stone was rolled away because the king was alive. But unlike Daniel, who came up alone, Jesus promises to raise up with him all those who, what? Trust in him. So, through faith in his name, all your sins, all your trespasses of God's law, the only law that matters at the end of the day, your compromises, your faithlessness towards Him, it's forgiven, dropped. If you humble yourself and ask Him, Jesus will be your advocate, right? And the judge will pardon your sin on account of His innocent blood. So in answer to the question of Darius, right, and the world as it looks upon you, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you? And the answer is what? Yes, yes, he is able, right? Because he encamps around those who fear him. 
That day in the lion's den, Daniel got a foretaste of the kingdom come, right? Of the age to come. When God establishes kingdom, there will be peace throughout all creation, right? Lions will lay down with calves and a child's going to lead them, Isaiah 11. Their destructive mouths will be shut. Daniel got a taste of what that kingdom's going to be like. Because Daniel lived first and foremost as a servant of who? God's eternal kingdom. And so he got a taste of it. But for those who trust in themselves... Right? Who think that they can counter God's law, who can trump it with their own, they also will appear in court. So we have verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were what? Brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. You realize that the difference in outcome here highlights that what happened was clearly the hand of God. So it wasn't because the lions all had stomach aches that day and therefore they didn't eat anybody, right? Because before these guys hit the ground, they were crushed. So it was as obvious as God holding the Red Sea open for Israel and then letting the waters go, right? That's what God did. And the Egyptians are swept away, right? God simply removed his muzzle from their mouths. It was that obvious. I think of a quote from a movie we watched earlier this week. My mother-in-law hadn't seen it before, and so we were watching God's Not Dead too. And the protagonist says this, strangely enough, in my preparation here. I'll put it up here for you. I'd rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. It's well said. It's well said. And like Nebuchadnezzar, right, God is once again proclaimed as the living God whom all peoples everywhere should know and fear. Right? In verse 26, Darius now says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He's the living God. He's enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Now take that in contrast to the edict that was passed earlier, right? Oh, everyone's going to pray to me, right? That's what he was saying. And now here he's proclaiming, well, actually, there is someone higher than me who we should fear and tremble before. Let me tell you about him. Okay. He's alive. He's indestructible. He's forever. He's a rescuer. He's a God who saves. And look at this, verse 28. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Under God's hand, Daniel prospered. So you can be in exile as we are, You can be a pilgrim here on earth, walking in the midst of a lion who wants to devour you, and the scripture says that, and yet because of God's faithfulness, you will prosper. Do you realize this verse not only rounds out Daniel's life, because you'll notice back in chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Right? That's Daniel chapter 1, verse 21. So here his life is rounded out 
with verse 28. But it also rounds out this, listen, the time of the exile of the people of God. Because with the reign of Cyrus, who was foretold by Isaiah, the Jews would be allowed to return to their homeland. Now here's something interesting. Daniel stayed in Persia. Now you can say, well, he was 80 years old. Maybe that's why he stayed. Well, maybe so. But you know why I think he stayed back? Because I think he had his sight set on a better eternal home. That's where his vision was. Well, next week, we venture into unknown territory. Because we all know that everyone thinks Daniel ends with chapter 6. But it doesn't. We got a few more chapters to get through. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for your word as it has been given to us today. It encourages us to be strong, to hold on to the convictions that you've given to us. Because there is no God like you, there is no God who is able to deliver. And so we lift high the name of Jesus. Thank you that like Daniel before him, Lord, he went willingly to the cross. And Daniel was rescued, but Jesus gave his life for our sin. But you raised him up. And Lord, what a promise then given to us that should we trust in him, you will also raise us up to be with him forever. God, that is grace. Thank you for the word of grace. May we receive it today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.